Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell them you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I want you to sit back. I want you to take this one in. This is a powerful podcast that we have coming up. I want to introduce you to a man that has overcome some things. And folks, the reason this podcast exists is so that you can hear from people that have walked in places that maybe as you listen to this podcast yourself, maybe you've walked through that same road yourself or you're walking through it now and you can get encouragement knowing that people have overcome. They have, they have been victorious and I want to, I want to introduce you to a man that has walked a difficult road, but has come out the other side. My guest today is Jerry Touchstone. He joins us now. Jerry, welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. It's an honor to be here with you. Man, you're in Louisiana. You're one in, in one of my favorite states, Louisiana. I, I, I have been there, and I love the state of Louisiana, and I, I am – a West Virginian. There's a lot of synergies between West Virginia and Louisiana. So let me start here for just a moment. I know what it's been like the last two years in my state. We got a state of 1.8 million people. I know what it's been like in West Virginia dealing with some of the stuff we've dealt with. What's it been like the last two years dealing with this pandemic in the great state of Louisiana? How have you guys navigated through it? And what's a lesson that you've learned through this time that will carry you through? And I believe this pandemic is is, wrap, it is wrapping up. And I don't say that politically or anything else. I just, I think it's right. time. I think it's, I think it's time to move on. What's a lesson that you've learned though in the last couple of years that you're going to carry after this thing is over with? Uh, the lesson that I would say that I have learned is to be sensitive to what um, other people around you are feeling. Um, you may, you may feel a certain way or, 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 or may think other people feel a certain way about a, the certain issues, but, uh, here, here life has pretty much continued on for me and my family. Um, you know, we, uh, 
we work at night, so, you know, we don't really have to get out in the hustle and bustle of the day, the daytime with everybody else. But, um, you know, uh, going to church and to uh, be around our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, we have just learned to just to be sensitive to everybody else. You know, um, uh, things don't have to be an issue. You know, everybody's stressed. Everybody's everybody's worried. Everybody's concerned about what's going on. And I've just kind of sat back and just you know, all right, well, you go ahead or, you know, I don't have to get this done right away or, you know, just trying yeah. to be, uh, just be sensitive to how people are feeling. You know yeah. I mean? That's, that's one thing I've learned. Let me ask you this, because I love what you said there about avoiding the hustle and bustle of the daytime. A lot of people, and you're right, it's when you, you, you guys are sleeping getting your rest when most people are just powering through what is an advantage that you have found of of you working at night when everybody else is resting and you're working um my father-in-law did that my father-in-law worked nights you know my wife and i were dating and in the first couple of years of our marriage before he retired he worked nights and so what advantage have you found for yourself and your family of working nights when everybody do you get more done or do you feel like you're more productive? Take me through that because that that's counterintuitive to what most people do. Yes, sir. Um, now my, my daytime activity around home is a little different than everybody else's. You, we usually get in around four or five in the morning. Uh, people are just getting up, you know, my, my day usually gets started around lunchtime and my hours to getting things done around the house is very limited, but I enjoy working at night. I get, um, it's peace. I mean, that's as simple as I can, I can put it, you know, I, I drive back and forth to work, you know, an hour here and now we're there. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of people on the road. Um, you know, you're not, uh, you're not stressed to get here or there. And, um, I find it easier to uh to basically get in touch with the lord i mean i'm i'm listening to podcasts while i'm driving or or me and my wife's listening to uh some worship music or or to some sermons or something that i'm interested in listening to while we're working yeah and it just seems that you know without all of the pressure of the world around you that you know you seem to have a a a quicker connection to the spirit of god and I love it. I don't have to, I don't have to stress myself out about sitting 10 cars deep at a red light or, or, um, you know, walking into overflowing stores or, or, um, sitting in a drive through, you know, restaurant parking lot or, you know, waiting in line for everybody to get through because, you know, by the time we get going, you know, everybody's pretty much winding down They're They're slowing down as we're speeding up per se. And, um, well, you got to thank the Lord it. that a Taco Bell still stays open till about right. two in the morning. I, that would be my thing, man. If I worked, if I worked overnights, man, I would be like, I would be praying for those restaurants that that were open till like one or two o'clock. Like, listen, just or or those restaurants. See, we Jerry, we've got a place in in West Virginia. Now, listen, when you're the fattest state in America. You have to have places like Biscuit World. Oh, come on. Okay, there's a place called Tudor's Biscuit <laughs> World. And they open at like 4 or 5 in the morning. 
And there's another place in the Charleston area called Susie's. Now, they're open even early. I think they're open at like 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. You got to love those places that open. Oh, absolutely. Be, because that that's the time of day when you're getting off work, you're trying to and, – and even in a lot of big cities, you know, you think of, of D.C., Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Atlanta, um, Baltimore. I could go on in New York. I could go on and on and on about the large, the mega cities in our country. Uh, there's a lot of people that start their day at four or five o'clock in the morning because that's the time they can get in quicker. Right. And they don't have to be. I've worked in D.C. quite a bit. There is no way on God's green earth if if I would I would not try to to go in towards DC from seven to ten in the morning. There's no way. I mean it it, it it's a parking lot, right? You know, I, yeah. I know it, here. I know here when we leave, we leave for work, and I'm I'm kind of at my busiest section, um, within the hour drive to where we're going there's rarely times that I run across more than two or three cars on the highway. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you got these back country. Well, I mean, my, my city that I live in is probably 9,000 people. And, uh, you know, going from one place to the other, brother, I, we rarely run across other people on the highway. If it is anybody, it's more than likely a sheriff's officer or a straight trooper moving from one place to the next. <laughs> yeah. So how did you guys navigate cool. through that when, when COVID hit? Did, did you really see any disruption because of, of the, the type of work that you do that's, that's over, you and your wife work both working overnight. Did you guys have any, because there were a lot of people that were working, I was working remotely. I was working from home and things like that, but I have a day job. Did you guys have any disruption because you worked overnight? I mean, you, you probably aren't around a lot of people, you know, that time of night when you're productive and like you just mentioned, you're busy, you're productive, things like that. Did you guys really have a lot of disruption? No, sir. Um, we didn't really have anything. It was like life continued on as normal for us. I mean, we had a few conversations with uh, uh, the, the people that we deal with, um, you know, within our company, uh, making sure, you know, COVID things were, you know, primary and taken care of. And other than that, you know, life just pretty much kept going for us. I mean, we didn't really miss a beat on anything. Um, now, you know, my, my family and everything that works during the day, you know, they had to follow, you know, all the guidelines of going in and out, but, you know, thankfully for me and my wife, you know, we was able to go into work, do our, our, our business and, and leave and, and not really have to, you know, worry about anything really. Uh, we was in and out before people even showed up back for work the next day and, uh, you know, really didn't have to worry about it. Was that a big change and big transition for you guys, uh, you know, going from day work to night work? Because, I worked evenings for about three years when I, when I was recruiting kids for a college, you know, so I, so I would be coming home as my son who was nine, 10, 11 years old at the time he was going to bed. And so weekends were my time for, for family time because I was, I was out working while they were at home and, and I was home when they were, when, when my wife was leaving for work and my son was going to school. Was that a hard transition for you and your wife to make going from, from day to night 
or was it something you guys were looking to do that was a little bit different and unique for you and your family? Uh, it wasn't really a hard transition. We, uh, I spent many years as a firefighter EMT working 48 and 72 hour shifts. So I was gone, uh, three to four days, well, three to two days at a time, sometimes longer than that, if the shift needed to be covered. And, um, so when I would come home uh, for two days or three days, my first day was sleeping because I was on the road most of the time, you know, during my shift and, uh, my wife, um, she would tell me that she was afraid to sleep at night. So she would basically sit up and, you know, watch old rerun TV shows and stuff because I wasn't home, uh, to be occupied at night. And, uh, so when, um, there was a, a moment, she, she said, uh, she come to me, she said, babe, she said, I'm really tired of, of you not being at home. She said, I'm gonna start praying for God to open some doors. And, uh, she come to me she says, I feel like the Lord wants us to open a janitorial company. And I said, well, okay, well, you know, if you feel like that's, uh, you know, what you, you know, God's will, then, you know, we'll start pushing into it. And, uh, sure enough, um, things begin to open, things begin to transpire for us. And, uh, you know, I eventually was able to step away from the uh, medical field and, uh, and, uh, now we've been doing this for several years now. And, um, it was basically a pretty much smooth transition. It's like, we've uh, never really missed a, a beat on it, you know, cause I'm, I was used to being up at nights and she was used to being up at nights already. So it worked out pretty well. Man. I love that. Let's step aside and take a quick break. When we come back, I, I want to ask you about something, you know, I want to take that, that conversation just a little bit further. Cause you mentioned being in the janitorial industry and that industry has really had to step up to the plate with some, with, with how they've, um, with, with deep cleaning and things like that. So I want to park there for just a minute and then folks, I, I'm going to save some room. I'm going to cut this next segment a little short. I'm going to give you a forewarning. This next segment's going to be a little shorter because I want to save room for Jerry's story, what he's overcome. My guest is Jerry Touchstone here on the intentional encourager podcast. You want to stick around for this conversation back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car, whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for Profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. 
Jerry, let's talk about you. You mentioned you and your wife starting a janitorial company, and it really that really piqued my interest because we're seeing a lot people that didn't really pay a lot of attention to how they were. I mean, they were cleaning. I'm not saying that, but really taking the the next step and going above and beyond. I used to sell janitorial supplies when I was in the food service industry. So we would sell, you know, dish chemicals and sanitizers and, and all this, right. you know, bathroom equipment, you know, bathroom stuff. And I used to tell people, I used to joke, man, when I was selling food, I would say, man, my company sells everything from green beans to urinal screens. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we did, we sold all the, right. all the cleaning products and, and things <clears throat> like literally everything in a restaurant that you could think of, we sold it from from front of the house all the way through the bathroom all the way to the back of the house and so man for 15 years what well, that's what i did i sold stuff like that what changed about your business when covid 19 hit and how you guys had to to take that next level and that step forward to ensure that you know yeah you you're working at night when nobody's around but how did you guys have to take what what steps did you have to go to to that next level with your customers and your clients that you were serving? Well, it was basically, you know, just ensuring that we were, you know, abiding by the the protocol that was put out, you know, for the COVID-19. And, um, and it was just basically, you know, sitting down with them, um, you know, they would give us the guidelines that they, they felt like were, uh, best for their company and we would we would abide by that guideline uh, and mainly you know checking in and out every night um, you know signing in signing out doing our temperatures uh, doing everything that was required you know for the COVID-19 uh, it, it really wasn't a big deal you know uh, you know working in the medical field you know I'm used to masking up you know gloving up and uh, you know prepping everything for uh, daily use and wiping down everything. <clears throat> so it wasn't really a big deal. And it really didn't change much for us because, uh, you know, we already were kind of in that mood uh, or in that mode for doing that uh, when COVID hit. Because, uh, um, you know, guess uh, just looking ahead, knowing about diseases and things of that nature, uh, you know, I had already kind of prepped my family for, uh, what was to come and, you know, told them things that we needed to take care of and, and to make sure that, you know, you know, we wiped down everything. We made sure the restrooms and things like that were taken care of and uh, just basically just stepped up our game and uh, made sure that the companies were, were satisfied, made sure that, you know, we were on the same page as them and uh, made sure that they felt good. You know, when they come to work, that they they felt safe, they felt good. You know, even though um, for me it wasn't really a big concern. Um, you know, because you know, I mean, I've dealt with stuff my entire life basically, and uh, you know, but to know that they they felt good, you know, they felt like they could come to work and be safe, you know, was uh, was a main priority uh, for me, and. Uh, you know, so that's something we did. We, you know, we talked with them and, and just any 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 issues that came up or, um, you know, or anything they felt, you know, they needed to, to get past to me. Uh, you know, we just kind of dealt with it as it came on. Any guidelines that changed, you know, we just kind of talked yeah. about it and made sure that everything yeah. was, you know, in order. 
And Jerry, I love what you said there about keeping your people mentally safe. Because right. I don't think, you know, we, we talk so much about staying physically safe, you know, masking up, mm -hmm. gloves. Um, I was at a hotel not so long ago, and I was getting some breakfast. And they were like, well, you need to put gloves on when you handle the utensils. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the only hotel I've stayed in to ask me to do that. I don't, I mean, I don't think about that stuff. I don't think we thought about that before right. all this. Now we think about it, you know, now it's like, okay, but I don't think people, you know, we, we, we talk so much about masking up and social distancing and all this stuff, but I don't think we think about keeping people mentally safe. And I love right. what you said there. As an entrepreneur, I, I've got to go here with you for just a minute. As an entrepreneur, were you ever feeling any kind of internal pressure to, to around your employees? What things were you most concerned about or concentrating on? Or maybe there was a lesson that you learned as an entrepreneur through this. That's where I want to go. Jerry, that's where I want to go. What was the biggest lesson that you learned as an entrepreneur about yourself and your business through this time around COVID-19? Really not to overreact about uh, their emotions about it, you know, to be considerate of how they felt. Uh, like you said, you know, I wanted to make sure that even with my own family that um, they felt safe, you know, they felt okay. Uh, if they felt like they needed to uh, glove everything that they done or if they, they wanted to mask the entire time, you know, I didn't have any issue with them. I didn't make it an issue. I didn't say anything negative to them about it. I wanted them to, to feel like that they can accomplish their job, do what they wanted to do as far as their work and, and get it done properly and uh, feel okay with it, you know, go home with it, you know, and, 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 and when they got home that they felt like they were, you know, safe. <laughs> you know, yeah. I know uh, everybody's uh, mindset about it is different. And um, and I'm pretty sure that you probably put 20 people in a room and there would be 20 different opinions about what's going on and how yeah, things are exactly. transpiring. But the way I looked at it is, you know, um, if I felt like that I can go out and and do what I needed to do, and the people that I worked with felt like they can come in and they needed to do what they needed to do. And we all kind of had a same understanding of what was required of us. Then, then there was no issues. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really, as far as learning something myself, um, it just basically reinforced lessons that I've already learned you know, to, to be, uh, to be sensitive to other people's feelings about things, to be sensitive about their emotions towards other things. And, um, to frankly listen before I spoke and try to get an understanding of, of how they felt about it before I actually said anything about it to, um, to be more of a, um, to be more of a leader instead of a, you know, bossy boss i guess you could say <laughs> that's what uh that's that's one thing i felt like that i would learn is to uh, to be more of a leader and to be a listener instead of just a just a voice that said do this or do that man i love that being a leader instead of being a boss because again there are so many people that say well 
you know, that's my boss or, you know, well, no. Lead first and then direct. It's easier to lead people than it is to direct them anyway. So let's step aside, take another break. We come back. I want to save room for Jerry's story. The things this man has overcome is miraculous, but there's a reason he's been able to overcome them. My guest, Jerry Touchstone, joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You are going to want to come back. You stay right here with us here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age-old concept of sales, and he's put a new twist to it, and I love the direction that he's taken with Selling with Dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book. Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says. He says, selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com, get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional encourage your podcast jerry i want to save room for your story you touched on it when we were we were back and forth a little bit on social media and i said man you've got to i I would be honored if you would tell your story here and so i want to give you the room and the space to tell it and if I jump in and interrupt, it's because I want to know more about it. Forgive me for doing that. But um, I want to give you the floor now to tell your incredible, powerful story. Yes, sir. I, I come from a long line of apostolics. I'm actually fifth generation uh, apostolic. And um, Lord, I prayed today. I was like, Lord, you know, where would you want me to start with this? I mean, I've been through a good deal. But I don't, I don't want my story to be a story of disappointment because it's not. Um, you know, prior to me and my wife getting married, um, you know, my, my pastor uh, committed adultery and my, my faith in men, you know, kind of stumbled a little bit. And um, then we came under another pastor, which was very uh, open about uh, calling people out in the middle of service. And he's called me and my wife out several times in the middle of service. And we felt like it was God's will for us just to leave. And then we, we moved to uh, another church and I uh, had started working into the medical field and the fire department and really started getting involved in my work. And the uh, pastor we were sitting under at the time uh, committed adultery. So my, my, my faith in, in men and trust in, in the leadership had began to really get shaky. And, uh, but I held on to it and I was like, you know, Lord, this is, this is not what you intend. So I kind of started to focus in on my work a lot more. And, um, you know, I spent many, many years, uh, working as a firefighter EMT and seen many, many things. There's, there's calls that I've, I've worked as a, as a, as an EMT that, uh, I can remember very vividly, um, 
but one of the very first calls at work was a young lady who committed suicide and she was the same age as I was and I can vividly remember you know the the way the house looked the way the living room and the kitchens looked uh, the way your bedroom looked uh, I can remember the words that she penned in a in a letter to her family um, and I remember so many things and over the years um, as I began to try to develop in ministry, <clears throat> you know, I would continue to pray and I'll continue to fast and I would subdue those feelings and those emotions through prayer and fasting. And um, me and my wife became um, uh, home missions pastors. Uh, the man that we had moved up under uh, had taken another church and we had took over the church from here. Jerry, I got to ask you this. Please, please forgive me for interrupting, but I've got to ask you this. You have a deep faith walk as you're you're joining you're becoming a paramedic in an emt the first call you go on you walk into a suicide and you read the suicide note that was left and you yes, said sir. you remember the way the house smelled and and those things i've always said this and i want to get your perspective on this because there may be somebody listening that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. How did you get through it with a relationship with the Lord and, and being in ministry as you have, how do people get through those things without a relationship with the Lord? Because I, I've, I lost my dad suddenly he, he passed away in his sleep. And I've often said, I believe for me, and, I, and again, I'm not trying to get preachy to, to somebody listening that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. That's not where I'm going with this. I have said for me, I would have had a much more difficult time losing my dad had I had had I not had a walk with the Lord. Right. Or you seeing what you, you've seen, and, and you're going to go more into this. But some of the things that you detailed... Have you ever thought about how difficult it would have been had you not had a walk with the Lord? Absolutely. Um, when leading up to a point, I, I had I had to kind of to kind of bring that into what I was saying. Um, me and my wife had had taken over this small church, and um, I was doing everything that I possibly I felt like that I could do to support suppress the the emotion the the feelings and everything that i were having and uh you know how the adversary works people begin to talk they begin to you know spread rumors they begin to say things and um i come i went to a meeting and a man walked up to me he was a he was a he was he was a leader per se and and i, I assume he took those 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 rumors to heart and he made a statement to me and he said, he said, brother touchstone, he says, he says, you're trash and you'll always be trash. And from that moment there, my faith in, in God, my faith in man, my faith in everything that I believed in began to shatter. And I came home from that meeting and me and my wife resigned the church and I got completely away from ministry. I got completely away from the church. And what God had in me restraining the emotions, those emotions were now um, completely unbridled. They were, anger began to fester, 
hate towards people begin to fester. My, I got to a point, brother, that um, I could literally, I couldn't, I couldn't drive down the road without breaking and down into tears, and and um, you know because of the memories, because of the 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 emotion and the the post traumatic stress from the calls and stuff that I worked at. Uh, I had worked a call with my uncle, and we worked a car fire. And um, he come up to me. He says, "Nephew, I love you." And he said, "I just want to let you know that." And I said, "I know, uncle." I said, "I love you too." And I, I switched shifts from the fire department to EMS. And brother, it wasn't an hour and a half after that I worked him in a head-on collision. And your uncle was involved in the head-on collision. Yes, sir. Man, and oh, man. Uh, from that, <laughs> excuse me. Oh, go ahead. But uh, from that moment, uh, I just I began to <clears throat> I began to ask God why, you know, and uh, mm, I'm sorry, brother. Just give no, me a you're, second. You're, you're fine. <clears throat> Take your time. Take your time. This is helping somebody. You're listening to this conversation. I want to. I want to talk to somebody real quick and and give Jerry a moment to compose himself. I want to I want to I want to say something real quick here. I know there's somebody listening right now that Jerry's story is connecting with you. Maybe you've had hurt in your life. Maybe you've had a career. Maybe you've been in the medical field yourself and you've seen some things. You really don't have an outlet to release them. I want to tell you that's where encouragement can help you. And I would encourage you to talk to somebody. I would encourage you to find somebody that you can share this with and then start to encourage yourself that life does not have to be this way for you. And so, man, go ahead with your story. I, I just, I just felt like interjecting, and forgive me for interjecting there. That's okay. I wanted to give you a moment to compose yourself because I was very close with my uncles, and I, I don't know how I would react if I were you and I was a paramedic rolling up on the scene, and there's your uncle. Like, man, I just talked to you an hour and a half ago. Right. You know, it was, it was, it was a very hard thing. Um, and still today, you know, I, I still struggle with it. But it's, it's not a struggle of um, regret or anything like that. It's just a now, um, well, I'll get to that here in a little bit. But as I, be, I was working through the medical field, and one of the major things that really got to me is uh, I'd worked a lot of infants, a um, lot, a lot of infants you know, with death, uh, overdoses from parents. And my son got married and had a, had a, had a little boy. And... I was struggling majorly with post-traumatic stress, you know, with anger, with, with rage, hate towards everybody. Um, I got into gaming and, and I would completely, you know, cut myself off from everybody. And uh, when my grandson was born, um, just holding him, I was so afraid of death. I was so afraid of something happening to him that I was afraid to hold him. I was afraid to, to, to walk with him and to, to be there with him and um brother i i would even at even at 
at family gatherings and stuff, my wife would walk with me and she would bring him with me. And, um, and I would just begin to weep just being around him because of the memories and the, and the, and the thoughts that were come to mind. I couldn't really enjoy him, you know, and I, I really couldn't enjoy life, but. Cause you I saw mean, every other baby in his face. Right. Right. And, um, you know, one time I had, I had picked him up and I swore he, he had just went limp in my arms and he was just being a kid playing around, you know, just kind of wanting to get down. But it wasn't that he had went limp. It was just the fact that he was trying to get down and play. And it scared me. It scared me bad. And, uh, I didn't know what to do, brother. I was, I was struggling and we, I had gotten away from the church and, um, one night I had gotten to an argument with my wife. Now I've never put my hands on my wife. So, you know, so yeah. nobody can take that and misconstrue right. that. But I've, I've argued with her because, uh, my emotion of, you know, said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, I don't want to tell you the things that I've been through. I don't want to give this burden to you or to anybody else. I'm a man. I, I can handle this, you know, but yeah, you obviously don't want to dump I, on anybody. Right. Yeah. Obviously I couldn't handle it. And, uh, so when I, uh, I'd got to an argument with her and, and I felt, and I felt bad. And I said, you know what I said in my, God began to deal with me at that moment. And I had went to her and I said, look, I said, I, I don't know what else to do. I said, I've, I've, I've tried to isolate myself. The, the thought of death was consistently in my mind and God had steadied my hand many a times to, to, to keep me in this, this earth. And, and I had, I had, uh, I had come to the conclusion. I said, there's only one way that I'm going to, I'm going to be able to fight this. And that's going to be going to the church. And she's like, well, where are we going to go to church at? I said, I have no idea. I said, let's go to church with your mama. And I said, but you know, God's wherever. I just need to get a hold of God. I need to get my life back, and uh, I need to get rid of this because I was having nightmares. I was sleeping maybe two or three hours a night. I, I couldn't really function, and uh, you know, life was just a blur for me for many years. Many years. We had went on vacations, and and even on vacations, I just you know, I'd be in another world. I'd be you know, just blank. You know. Did you ever think about self medicating? Because that, and the reason, Jerry, the reason I asked that is that a lot of people, and, and I, I'm not trying to um, belittle or anything like that, but when people go through traumatic situations, and listen, let's be honest, I've seen Christians self-medicate right. through alcohol, through drugs, <clears throat> through, um, other means to just kill the pain, to get rid of those things that, that were troubling them. Did those thoughts ever come? I, and I don't want to get too personal. And if, if I'm getting no, too personal, fine. let no, me know, but fine. did you ever think about self-medicating with drugs or alcohol? No, sir. I, I never did. Reason why is because I've seen enough of it in the medical field. And uh, I've seen enough people and what it done to people that I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I guess that's one reason why I got into gaming. Um, I spent a lot of many hours in gaming. 
and uh, basically trying to suppress the, the fear, the the hurt, the uh, the thoughts, you know, anything that I could do as far as, you know, with gaming that I could, I could suppress that in my mind is what I did. And, um, you know, basically um, that was my out. You know, that was my out for conversating with people. That was my out of going and doing anything. Uh, I, I, I submerged myself into, into gaming, you know, video gaming and stuff like that. And um, you could have been a Madden Hall of Famer at that. I right. mean, not to make light of it, but <laughs> you, you were kind of ahead of your time, man. Do you, did you have any idea that eSports would be like, you know, the, the I mean, you probably could have got paid to do that, man. And Right. And I probably yeah. could have, but... No, but uh, no, it's a it's something that I dove I dove into, and um, whenever I'd begin to feel those feelings and I'd feel that emotion, I would uh, I would just go, I would start gaming. You know, time to strap uh, on the virtual chin right, strap, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, huh? I, would, uh, <laughs> I would go do it, and, and honestly, and it it and, and it suppressed my emotions, you know, for a while. You know, it it, sure. it it would it would tame me for a little bit, and uh, Be well, here's I had to the face thing, reality. Too, Jerry forgive me for jumping in i'm kind of trying to put myself in that moment i'm a sports guy and so for me if i if that were if i were sitting in your shoes i would be an i would be a legend in madden or nba <laughs> 2k or uh mlb the show i mean man my my Cincinnati Bengals would have multiple Super Bowl championships right. in Madden if I if I had to because I remember times listen I remember times when when my son was 10 11 years old and I was going to school during the day when my to get my master's degree when my family was gone and I would sneak into my son's room I'd fire up his Madden I'd be like or NCAA football I'd be like I got an hour to kill, man. Let's, let's, right. you know, let, let me, let me run some plays here. Let me, let me just, but I, again, I cannot imagine needing to use that to totally escape the PTSD that you were facing. And it's a testimony to not taking alternate means to suppress that in some way i mean with all the things that you had been through um you would have been an ideal candidate to become a drug abuser i mean let's be let's be totally honest yeah, truthfully you would have been an ideal candidate and, and listen i live 20 minutes from what some people have called the the epicenter of drug use in huntington west virginia with heroin abuse and opioid west virginia is famous for opioid use mm -hmm. and things like that i mean we we talk about the poster children for opioid use it's right. west virginia you know it's it's huntington west virginia 20 minutes west of where i live and so man i think it's remarkable that you did not turn to drugs or alcohol to suppress those things take me to the moment where it broke because that's a powerful you you were sharing with me just a little bit i want i want our audience to hear about the moment that that broke in your life yeah like i said you know i'd uh i had kind of get into a little verbal altercation with my wife and 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 
I want to give props to my wife because my wife has stuck through me through this, you know, thick and thin. She has been my cornerstone. She has been, you know, my, 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 my helpmate. You know, she has absolutely been there and have loved me and cared for me through this entire thing. And, um, but we woke up the next morning, it was Sunday morning. And, um, she said, you know, she said, I don't really think we need to go to church with mama. I said, okay. I said, wherever you want to go, you know, wherever you mm-hmm. want to go. And she said, well, let's go to, uh, brother Kirk Hosell's church in Crossroads. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a lot better instead of an hour drive, you know, 10 minutes is a whole lot better than me. I can get back home. I'd be over, you know, you know, and in my mind, I wanted a change. And in my heart, I wanted a change. I was desperate for something, but then a part of me was like, okay, well, another church, you know, another more fake people, more, you know, because my hate towards people had, had just gotten to a point that, you know, I would, I was better off giving you my, um, my opinion, whether you liked it or not. And, uh, didn't really care about your emotions, didn't care about how you felt about anything. And, uh, I would tell you, and, uh, you know, wasn't really concerned about it. And, um, well, we got to church and, um, uh, immediately, you know, I began to felt God move upon me. And, um, of course I didn't respond out of being hardheaded. Um, and that night, um, we went back and, uh, brother Brennan Hosell, uh, the pastor's son preached and he preached how, uh, he was facing, um, uh, depression and suicide in his life and that he, uh, that he was attempting to do commit suicide and, and God had, uh, you know, dealt with him and brought him to an altar and, uh, God had removed that spirit of depression off of him. And I'm like, well, you know, Lord, I said, if you could do that for him, you could do that for me. Yeah. And the Lord began to move upon me like really, really heavy. That's one of my and favorite brother, scriptures. Of a truth, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. That's that right. And 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 in ministry, as I pray for people in our church, I will say that because again, to your point, if the Lord healed me, if that, and we know that scripture is true. It's not if thing, but that scripture being true, then you should receive healing too, right? So right. man, I love that. Please, please go on. I, I had to, that, that is one of my favorite scriptures <laughs> in the Bible. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in it and I, I knew God could do, could do for me. And, and for many years, I was just being hard headed. You know, I, I tried to be, you know, I'm a man. I could deal with this. I can handle this on my yeah. own. I don't need that. You know, I see other men in this world, they're prosperous, they're doing well. I don't need to, you know, to continue to, to be let down by people. But the Sunday night he preached and I said, well, Lord, I said, if you can do it for him, I know you can do it for me. And I began to feel God move upon me really heavy and I began to weep. But I, and I said to myself, I said, Lord, I said, I just can't trust men. I said, I cannot put my trust in me. And I've, I've yeah. been let down too many times and I've been spoken harsh to, and my family has, has heard these things. And I said, I just can't trust it. And, um, I said, I love you and I want to be changed. And I said, but I need, I need a confirmation and brother, I kid you not a man of God walked across the front of the church and he walked down the aisle and he come up to me and he said, God said, you don't have to trust them, 
but you can trust me. Wow. And brother, that was it. I, I, I lost, I lost it. I, I began to weep. I went to the altar. I lifted my hands and I said, here I am. Here I am. And, uh, the Lord healed me of all my nightmares. He healed me of, uh, he healed me of my depression. I don't have any fear, uh, of, of the things that I, I've encountered or the things that used to bother me. I've, I sleep and I, <laughs> uh, I would say working, yeah. <laughs> working overnight, man, you would, you would need oh, to sleep, man. I, I sleep. I, I feel good. I, you know, I, uh, I have a, I have a desire in my heart now, brother, just to, to, to see other people healed, you know, healed of the emotion, healed of the hurt, healed of the pain, regardless of what they're going through. And I, and I want to encourage them that, you know, regardless of what they're going through and what they're facing, that there is a God, man, there is a God that will, he will grab you and he will take every bit of it away and he will give you strength to rise the next day and to face a world that doesn't care about you, but he will love you and he will hold you and he will, he will walk with you when you feel like there's nobody there. And, yeah. uh, now brother, I get up, I can't wait to get up and pray. I can't wait to get up and study. I, I love being in the house of God. I love being around the people of God. God has completely changed my attitude. Uh, I, I see my family. They're happy. They're, they're laughing. They're smiling. You know, they're, they're singing, you know, the joy of the Lord is just filling my home when it was, <laughs> when it was dark and, you know, you know, is dad okay? Yeah. But now it's, uh, now it's joy unspeakable. You, you know, know I, I have an uncle that's 86 years old and my uncle was, my uncle is legally blind. He lives in Oregon with his, with his daughter. Now he married my aunt. My aunt went home to be with the Lord. And when she passed away, he moved back he moved with his he moved in with his daughter his daughter's his caregiver in Oregon my uncle used to tell about being sleeping on a park bench in the early 1970s in San Francisco California and my uncle would would say that he heard singing the 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 Pentecostal church there in San Francisco pastor was Marilyn Gazowski. He listened to him sing as he's sleeping in the park. And my uncle, legally blind, would sit at the piano and he would sing a song that says, thanks to Calvary. Mm -hmm. I don't sleep in a park anymore. Thanks to Calvary. I'm not the drunk that my, that my kids had to worry about thanks to Calvary. And, and I, and Jerry, that song came to my mind as you were telling your story. And I began to think to myself, thanks to Calvary, my brother doesn't have to deal with PTSD anymore. Amen. Thanks to Calvary. My brother gets to sleep at night 
thanks to Calvary, when he, you know, when he holds his grandchildren, he doesn't have to have a fear about seeing what he's seen. And I want to encourage you. And again, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I'm a Christian and I don't care who knows it. I'm a, I'm an apostolic Pentecostal Christian and I'm not ashamed and I don't care who knows it. And I'm not saying, listen, if you, if you're a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, charismatic, whatever, whatever denomination you are, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to be high and mighty here. I'm not, no, the same God that you worship is the same God we worship. There's no difference. There's no difference. And Calvary just wasn't for Pentecostal people. And Calvary just wasn't for Baptist people and method. Calvary was for everybody. Calvary was for everybody. Whosoever will. I want to encourage you. Take your trouble. Take, take it and give it to the Lord. And so, Jerry, forgive me for jumping in there. I want to give you an opportunity. If folks want to reach out to you, tell them how they can can reach out to you and connect with you on your social media platforms. And um, man, I'm so indebted. But but if folks want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Well, they could uh, they can get a hold of me on Twitter at uh, JW Touchstone, or they can even uh, go to Facebook and uh, like the page Apostolic Bread uh, daily. All of the reading that I do daily, I post several times a day, Bible studies, uh, uh, faith encouragement, and uh, evening time uh, uh, Bible stories uh, that families can read and read with their children or whatnot. Uh, so you can reach me there, Apostolic Bread on Facebook or JW Touchstone on Twitter. Folks, one of the most powerful episodes I believe that we've done in a long time. I don't know what else to say, but just to say thank you, Jerry. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing your story, for trusting me and this audience with your story. Um, folks, I, if if you are walking that road where you're suffering with PTSD, depression, go get some help. But I would also say this too. Go get, go get to a good Bible preaching church too. Amen. That'll help you. That'll help you better than anything. Go get, go get to a good Bible preaching church and let God begin to heal you and help you. Jerry Touchstone, thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourage podcast. I'm indebted to you and I appreciate you sharing your powerful story with us. Thank you, my friend. I enjoyed being here. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.